My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 71. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I am really happy to be with you this morning. Yesterday was a very hectic, crazy day for me. I'm getting ready to go on vacation, and all of you know what that means. Well, some of you know more than others. Some of you just pack a bag and get on an airplane and fly somewhere. Land, go to your condo, and you're done. With me, no. I've got to take a truck, load the back of the truck, then hook it to a trailer, load the trailer. What do I put in the trailer? Well, kayaks. I put uh, three kayaks in it, probably five bicycles, a lot of luggage, a lot of baby stuff, baby beds and things like that. Yeah, we've got the whole crew going, but that's, it's fun. It's hard work, though. It's exhausting getting ready to go on vacation. And then you get to vacation, this kind of vacation, and you got a house full of toddlers. Not exactly relaxing. So sometimes when I get back, well, I can't wait to get back because then I can relax and actually take a real vacation for a few days. But that being said, yesterday was a, uh, a great day. Um, I met some folks from Jonesboro, Tennessee, and when they got out of the vehicle, they're driving a, a big SUV. And when they were climbing out of the vehicle, they were said, how much is that Corvette? I just happened to have just parked the Corvette. I took it to lunch. It's a, a 2023 Chevrolet Corvette, generation number eight. They call it C8, Corvette 8, I guess. But anyway, they said, how much is that? And I said, well, I think it's about 90000 Well, that's too much. You're crazy. Nobody's going to pay that much for a car. What would you really sell it for? Well, I could tell the folks that I'm dealing with. They, you know, they're probably not prospects on the vehicle, but I said, yeah, I don't know. You know, we use market-based pricing. What's that? Well, that's where we price everything based on what what we think we can get for it. What what's being what other cars like that are being sold for on the internet? Oh, okay. Are you a salesman here? I said, well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've sold cars here, yeah. Um, what's your name? I said, well, my name is Lenny Lawson. I'm actually the owner of the dealership. Oh, right then, everything changed. All of a sudden, I'm not just a salesman. You know, I am actually the owner of the dealership. And they started treating me differently. Now, they're nice folks, and I, I get it. I understand. You know, if you're talking to, you know, Tim Copenhaver, if he comes out and waits on you out at, at Champion Chevrolet, he's one of the owners there. And um, if you find out it's him and you recognize him from the commercials, you're going to treat him differently. I wish people wouldn't do that. I wish they'd treat everybody the same, with the same degree of respect. But sometimes my salespeople will come into me and say, Lenny, how, how come that you, know, you just get this attitude a lot with a lot of customers? I said, well, you know, I guess they've always heard that car salespeople are you know, not the most honest people in the world, which is not true. There are there are bad apples in, in any kind of business. but And when I try to explain, I said, well, there's really nothing you can do about that except to be extremely nice, be extremely professional, and ask them a lot of questions. Because if you focus it on them and they, they recognize the fact that you're very interested in them first and what their needs are, then they'll treat you better. But it is kind of sad the way some people treat. Well, it's not just car salespeople, is it? I mean, it's waiters and waitresses and 
you know, anybody that, that takes care of you. I've, I see a lot of rudeness in society as a whole anyway. But, you know, most people that are out there, you know, serving people meals at a restaurant or, you know, working at a, a tractor supply place or a garden center or a car dealership for that matter, you know, they're just trying to make a living just like you try to make a living. And, and I don't understand why people would treat them with less respect than, uh, you know, their next door neighbor. So let's work on that. One, two. Okay, today I'm going to talk about some of the biggest changes that I have seen in the auto industry in recent years because it has really changed. Uh, the whole ball game, you know, it's just like these folks that came in yesterday. You know, they, they obviously haven't shopped around. I think they're, they're driving a 2018 or 2019. I mean, it's a different world now versus then in the car industry. And it's because the supply of vehicles has been extremely low. It's been a seller's market, not a buyer's market. That's probably the biggest switch that I have seen ever since I've been in a car business is that very switch from a buyer's market to a seller's market. And it is all driven by a very simple economics rule or law uh, called the law of supply and demand. And when the supply goes down, then the demand typically uh, goes up uh, in terms of price. When the uh, demand goes down, then the supply typically goes up. Inventories increase. And what does that create? That creates pricing pressure um, in the favor of the consumer. Now, when there's a limited supply and the demand is up, like it was uh, in the middle of the pandemic and, and beyond, then the prices go up because the inventories are low. So you got more people scrambling for fewer products. That's going to jack up the price. Same thing in the real estate market, at least it has been. You know, the, the, the rising interest rates has really put a whammy on the uh, real estate market. But still, from what I can tell, the agents that I'm talking to, houses are still selling. And then you have the cost of just building, you know, building supplies and stuff. It's just unbelievable. And you get to some point where people say, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to get out of the market. Are we there yet? Well, according to the RV industry, they're there. Uh, the RV, RV industry has really slowed down. And uh, what, what you're seeing is the factory orders have all but disappeared. Uh, all the RV dealers have all the inventory that they need. I went past several, uh, what is it, camping worlds this past weekend. When we were on our trip to Asheville, North Carolina, we passed several. And uh, they're loaded with inventory. There's one near Knoxville, Tennessee that's, uh, that I go by, and it is loaded with inventory. So maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe it is slowing down. What's that going to do to prices? It's going to make them go down. So big supply and lower demand means lower prices. I think you're going to see some turnaround in the auto industry. As supplies increase, there will be pricing pressure in the favor of the consumer with rebates primarily. You know, there have been a lot of price increases, much to my chagrin. I'm not real happy with some of the pricing increases that we've seen, but they're going to give it back. They, they've just been prepping for it, uh, prepping for the big give back in terms of rebates and incentives. Right now, we they're using uh, low-rate financing, 0% for like 60 months to entice people to come in and buy these cars. Um, they're also uh, using some incentive dollars. I've seen some rebates in the two and $3,000 range. 
I remember when uh, the rebate on an F-150 was $7,500. With rebates and other incentives that they had as far as window sticker discounting, you could get $10,000 off on an F-150. But it's not that way now because they're still not, they still have not caught up with the demand. So we'll see. I'll keep you on the cutting edge. I'll let you know when that happens. You know, is it a good time to buy? It is if you need a car. I mean, if you need something right now, it's a good time. Uh, the, what makes it even better, though, are used car values are still up. They're starting to slide a little bit, but they're still way up. Because if you go to most new car dealer lots, and that's where most used cars are sold by new car dealers, the inventories are thin. And when you go to the auction and try to buy cars like we do occasionally, um, you know, where they used to have 2,500 cars roll across the block in one day, now they're down about 800 to 1,000. They're just not there. And the rental car companies and Carvana and some of the other, like CarMax, they're, they're basically picking up all the, the vehicles that are available, and it leaves little for us uh, car dealers to be able to buy and sell. So I'm going to take my first break, and I will be back in one minute. Okay, I am back. You know, some people adapt pretty well to change. Others don't. They like it to always be the same way. Are you that way? Do you like consistency? Does anything outside of the norm um, mess you up? See, I like change. I'm a big change driver. <clears throat> My problem is that I'm not really good at sustaining change. I have to have people to do that for me. I'm a creator. Um, I'm not like a stabilizing kind of a person that will keep a routine or a discipline going for a long period of time. Why? Because I want to change it. I want to improve it. And so you got to have those kind of people, and I think it's important. So when, when the market changes, when the way things are sold and the prices that people pay, when that changes, it can be very disruptive to people who are very much ingrained, like these folks yesterday. I mean, they're used to uh, getting huge discounts. Well, that's just not available right now. I mean, people are lucky to get what they want. I know that I noticed that the Toyota dealerships are really struggling right now, not to sell cars, to have anything on their lot because everything they sell is pre-ordered by somebody. When it comes in, it goes right back out so they don't have much inventory. So somebody comes in and say, how come you guys don't have any forerunners? Well, you have to order a forerunner. Well, a lot of people don't want to wait, especially people like me. They want it now. So that has changed a lot of um, the way people buy. Internet shopping has replaced a lot of shopping. People do most of it online now. My wife is uh, very much an Amazon fan. You know, and I order most of the stuff that I buy, order it online, except pants. I got to try on the pants. Uh, when I order them online, they just, they're either too tight, too loose, don't come up high enough, uh, come down too low, Pants or legs are too long. You know, I just can't get it right, so I'm trying on pants. Shirts I feel a little bit better with, but that's about it. You know, everything else is pretty much online. If I'm buying a car, though, in the old days, I would, uh, I'd have to drive around and look at them and test drive them and so forth. Today, you just don't have that opportunity because it may not be there. We had a customer the other day wanting to drive a Mustang. We have two. And um, we've got five more that are coming in. Three of those are sold. Two of them are not. And so, you know, that's kind of the, the, the way the situation goes right now. Buyers 
when they come in, are closer to the purchase decision than they used to be. That's another big change. Used to people would just go from dealership to dealership, shop around. They'd start that process, you know, months and months, sometimes years before they actually got ready to pull the trigger and buy a car. They don't do that anymore. When they come into the dealership, they're ready. They've already done their shopping online. So that's a big change for salespeople. They have to understand that the person that's pulling onto the lot, getting out of their car, it's very possible they know more about your inventory. They know more about the individual car that they're looking at than you do. So salespeople have to really get their product knowledge up there. And not only that, but they have to understand how important it is to sell themselves, you know, and their enthusiasm for the customer, their ability to ask questions like we talked about earlier. Uh, Also, their ability to sell the benefits of the dealership. You think all new car dealers are created equal? That they all treat all their customers the same way? That they have similar service departments, similar parts departments? The answer to that question is a big no. They're all different. They're all... Most of them are privately held or held by a group of dealers that use very similar processes between their dealerships. You know, there are dealership uh, groups that own, you know, they might own 150 different new car dealerships. How many do I own? One. And so if somebody wants to come talk to the boss and you go to a a dealership that's part of a large group, you can't talk to the boss. He doesn't work there. He might just be a corporation, um, and it might have a bunch of stockholders. Now, there's probably a CEO or a, a COO or something like that. But when you go to, well, I could name 50 different dealers that I know personally that are sole, well, they're not really sole proprietors. They're, they're a corporation, but still there's one person that owns the stock. And he's the man, and he's the one that works there. And if you have an issue, you can talk to him. Is there value in that? I think there is. These people who I met yesterday, they thought there was. They want to talk. They're glad to get to talk to the owner. You know, that is an advantage. And when you have an issue with a car, which sometimes people do, you know, from a service standpoint, it's nice to be able to talk to the boss. What else? Uh, Loyalty to dealerships is a rare commodity now. Um our loyalty numbers are really, really strong, but we're in a, uh, you know, we're a single point dealer in a large county, and we've been in business for, well, fifty years as a family. But you know, as far as the me personally, I've been doing this for forty five years, so I've got a pretty good following and a lot of repeat business. But I tell you what, you can blow that pretty quickly if you don't take care of somebody. You know, I've, I've had customers get mad and swear they'd never come back because they bought a car and it took two weeks to get their tags for them. But it's not somebody that really knew me or knows us. They'll, get, they'll cut you some slack. I think we tend to cut slack to people that we know and trust and like because we know that they're not trying to rip us off. Okay, let's see what else has changed. Product quality. You know, it used to be a big differentiator. I remember back in the, selling cars in the 70s and 80s, uh, the Japanese had the quality thing down. You know, when they introduced Honda Accords and Civics and, you know, Toyota started coming on strong. You know, you just, the, the Silica was just, seemed better put together than a Camaro. But that's not the case anymore. Product quality is pretty much a level playing field. You know, the only thing that I see that all of them struggle with are recalls. All the manufacturers have recalls. 
they're so afraid of letting something slide from a safety standpoint that they pull the trigger on recalls pretty quickly. And I think that's good. That's important. I just, you know, I guess they have a lot of training issues in the factories. They have a hard time getting good quality people. And occasionally they leave a bolt loose or something, and that creates issues. But overall, product quality is pretty much uniform. I don't care if you're talking about Chevrolet or Toyota, Honda, uh, Subaru, Ford. They're all pretty much the same now. So that's a good thing. It's really hard to buy something a bad product, you know, something that isn't put together well. Um, another big change is that really cars don't matter anymore. You know, if you look at a, the average parking lot, just go to the mall, look around, find a passenger car. You just don't see them like you used to. I mean, at one time, everybody was driving Honda Accords, Ford Tauruses, uh, what else? Chevy Caprices. Uh, that's going back pretty far. But yeah, you just don't see passenger cars. Everything's an SUV or a crossover. I mean, they have absolutely dominated. I know another product that, that went away that used to be very popular, minivans. Now, you still, now Honda still makes a good minivan. Uh, Toyota makes a good minivan. The Kia, I think it's called a Sedona, is a good minivan. Chrysler's still in the minivan business, but my gosh, remember the Chevy Astro, the GMC, what was it called? Safari, the Pontiac, Pontiac even had, I think it was called the Montana or something like that. General Motors just said, okay, we throw in the towel. We give up. We can't build a minivan that anybody's going to buy, so we're just going to throw in the towel. Ford did the same thing. You know, they tried, they tried, let's see, what was the last? The Windstar. And I think it started as the Freestar, and it didn't sell. They said, well, let's change the name. It's called Windstar. See if that works. Nope, didn't sell. And then Ford said, well, let's try to fool them. Let's, let's uh, come out with a thing that looks like a minivan, but when you open up, it's really an SUV, and we'll call it, let's see, let's call it something muscular, like Flex. Oh, boy. You know, and I really liked the Flex. I was kind of weird about it. It was boxy. It was odd. It was a very polarizing vehicle. People would look at it and say, yuck. Or they would say, now that's intriguing. But it was rare for somebody to say it was intriguing. Uh, they would tend to walk away. I wouldn't have that, is what they would say. So they stopped selling. My daughter loved hers, though. She absolutely did and uh, was really hated to give it up. Now she's driving an expedition, child number three, coming down the pike. So they need to uh, prepare for that. But yeah, what, what young people were interested in, you know, 30, 35 years ago when I was somewhat young, uh, it's totally different from what they want now. I mean, they looks matter more now than what they did back then. Utility is what mattered then. Now it's looks and then utility. But I guess we can't expect everybody to be like us, you know, especially those younger generations. But what do they know? Okay, I'll take my last break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. You know, one of the biggest changes from the early 70s of course, I got into the business full-time in 78, but it was true back then, too, um, is that trucks were for farmers and for people who worked out of them. They really weren't the personal-use vehicle that they have become. Now, my traveling vehicle is an F-150. I mean, they have turned vehicles like uh, the Ram truck and the Silverado, very rarely do you see them used by everyday Joe as anything other than 
a car. It's just a bigger car. That's changed. Um, another thing is that is really big, especially for us. Uh, any dealer, any new car dealer, is that technicians have to be computer geniuses. At one time, a technician was a guy who went to work clean and came home with grease everywhere. Well, that's not the case anymore. There are many of them that don't get dirty at all because all they do is plug a uh, computer into your vehicle and download information and then upload software to fix your problem. Yeah, sometimes they have to replace parts, but very rarely do they have to like disassemble an engine or a transmission or something. Many times, the uh, the manufacturer just wants you to replace the whole unit. Now, that's not easy. I mean, it's arduous work for sure, but it doesn't take a computer genius to do that, but it does take a computer genius to be a mechanic anymore. I mean, and their incomes are having to go up. Many people are making anywhere between $35 and $50 an hour now. That in, in the shop... Um, that was unheard of for people to make that kind of money. These aren't college-educated folk. You know, these are people who went to technical school, um, and they or they went to a little bit of that, and then they learned all, all this stuff just on the job, working in a small shop or working with their grandpa or their uncle. And uh, But when they get into the dealership business, that's when the training starts. It is an amazing training ground for a technician, and it can be really a great uh, – career for them as well. But these are some of the biggest things that have changed since I've been in the car business, and I thought it might be interesting to share that with you. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. If you have a question about a car, if you have a question about buying something, whether you should or shouldn't, what the value of your used vehicle is, or you have some kind of a weird service problem that nobody seems to be able to fix, give me a call, 423-552-2020. Or send me a text, send me all the information, the VIN number and miles and stuff like that. And that, that really does help uh, help me get to an answer for you as quickly as possible. Again, 423-552-2020. Give me a call. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.